Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC, and only ever so slightly more entertaining than the football on the pitch. My name is Sammy James, and tonight we'll look back at Saturday's win at Hull, our first win on Humberside since the 90s. We'll ask if it's okay to think a game was shit even though we won, and we knew this day was coming. What will Fulham do without Alexander Mitrovic? Here to discuss all this with me is a man who is very used to low-grade, terrible football, Farrell Monk. <laughs> very used to it. How are you doing? Uh, the man who lives for 1-0 shithouse wins up north, Don Betts. Hello, hello. And George Singer's voice doppelganger, as some people, some eager-eared listeners have noticed, Joe Sansom. Hello. I wonder who it is today. <laughs> right. I, I, let's, let's have a little game of this. I'm going to put in a clip right now of George Singer. Here's this five, six seconds of George Singer. You know, it's almost going back to the um, the McDonald, Johansson, Kearney kind of trio. We know it works well. We know they fit together well. And I think... Right. Joe, tell me what you had for your breakfast this morning. Had a bowl of cornflakes, a little bit of milk, and I absolutely polished it off. At Fulhamish Pod, does Joe sound like George? Let's just <laughs> settle this once and for all, because some people have been saying they actually can't concentrate because the contrast or lack of contrast in your voices is so strong. Are we going to have to like separate them from podcasts and future? I think we will, because otherwise you won't be able to tell who is talking between Joe and George. We did do one together, I imagine. That must have been a bit of a, a, bit of a tough listen. Yeah, or, you, you, know. you might get attributed with, with you know singing stats nonsense, and you, you don't want that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't don't get uh, caught in that bracket, Joe. Right. Um, it was a one nil win on Saturday, and lots to discuss. Even though it wasn't an absolutely abhorrent game, uh, Farrell, what did the three word reviews say? Obviously, there was a lot of uh, Ivan Cavallero centered um, three word reviews out there. I'll uh, start with Brian Walsh's Cavs and Cavs not. Uh, Matt Walls and I'll say this in Gentleman Jim style Cavs some of that and a lot of these seem to be four words Cavs some of that well some of that I mean if you're gonna uh, well you know poetic license here okay okay um, uh, we'll have Jacob Krupa's Pray for Mitrovic and my my personal favourite Patrick Lane's Huller's Dishwater very good. Yeah, it's lovely, isn't That's it? That's a very nice three-word review. Well, we'll see what gets the pod name at the end. Uh, let's have a look at the match then. Um, Joe, I'll start with you. Hector in for Brian, McDonald and Onoma in for Steph, Joe and Harrison Reed. Knockart in for Kamara. This is from the last league game against Reading rather than the Villa game, which is kind of pointless to compare the lineups to. Plenty of changes there for Scott, some enforced, some not. What did you make overall of, of Scott's lineup? It was a bit of a weird one. Um, when I first saw it, I was a bit confused, but that's because I thought that when Hector came in, it would be um, Ream that got dropped um, and not Mawson. But obviously, he chose to go with Ream in this game, and that's fair enough. I think that they did fine, but when I first saw it, I was a little bit confused. Other than that, I mean, Arta must not be completely fit yet. Otherwise, I think he'd have probably started instead of McDonald, who did fine. Um, and other than that, there wasn't really anything that I didn't expect because I think that when going up against Hull, you look at Jared Bowen as the main threat, and I think that Adoya is a better defender than Brian, so therefore I think that it was the right the right choice to start him at left-back. I mean, some people, Dom, thought that Joe Bryan being dropped from the squad was, was an indication that he might move on. There are rumours with him uh, potentially going to Watford in a £10 million deal. I don't really think these rumours have come from any source of huge 
credibility. Did you potentially see it as a sign that Joe might be on his way out or was it, as Joe said, Joe Sansom said, um, just a sign of, of a tactical switch from, from Parker looking to combat that threat that Jared Bowen has on the right-hand side? Yeah, as Joe said, he is a much better defender, but I think the way Joe Bryan's been playing, he kind of it doesn't. It's not like out of the room that he would have been dropped because I think he's been quite poor for a fair amount of a long time now. So I don't, I don't think it's anything to do with the transfer. I just think, as Joe said, he saw Jared Bowen as being their main threat, and he's seen I think his second top goal score in the league behind Mitrovic, and you know, Doy is a better defender. So there's no reason to play him. You know, and if, if Doy's going to play like that, I'd start him over Joe Bryan because I don't think Joe Bryan's been that good this season I don't see what Watford has seen in the last 18 months to make him want to put a bid in for him so yeah and on on the Ream and Mawson sort of who was going to play next to Hector I wasn't surprised that it was Tim Ream I, I, I thought I think Tim Ream's been the better of the two centre-backs this season anyway I think again Alfie Mawson's been pretty bad so I, I think you know Hector and Ream perfectly make sense especially with the way we're trying to play yeah, McDonald, you know, we, we haven't really seen him in, in, obviously, a league game in a long while, but I thought he did, yeah, he did perfectly fine. So I think the more sort of surpri- not surprising exclusion was obviously no Marcus Bettinelli on the bench. Yeah, that yeah. seems to be a more damning indication, Farrell, of his future rather than the Joe Bryan stuff. Well, I assume it's it's an injury that we won't hear about until he's playing like 60 minutes in the uh, under-23s at some point in yeah. two months' time. Do you think we need to go Bielsa-style into the bushes to find out who's injured and who's not? That would be quite funny if they ever spot spot like some of the Fulhamish crew hiding out in the bushes Jack Kelly with a pair of binoculars trying it, to work out who's injured or not well if it's if I was going to send any of the crew it would be him because he is d- definitely out of the uh, the most diminutive out of all of us and we're not yeah. exactly like a big big crowd in here we you know Speak we're not yourself six foot <laughs> you are bringing up the average by about foot though <laughs> <laughs> Um, do you think it might be though that his future lies elsewhere he won't be happy that he's playing number two he's made no secret of the fact that he wants to be a number one keeper and maybe he sees his future elsewhere I wouldn't blame if he does no I don't think anyone could I mean at the moment Rodak is performing brilliantly I, I've been so pleasantly surprised by Rodak coming into the squad and I don't I don't see Bettinelli getting uh, the gloves back even if after one bad Rodak performance I don't see Marcus coming back in straight away because I think that you know Marek has performed He's made his own. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I haven't seen a, I haven't seen like an error. I haven't seen a particular goal go in where I think, well, maybe he should have done better. There hasn't been any of that. One of his so weakest um, goals that he conceded was against Swansea, where actually he had one of his best games. Yeah. Other than that, I can't think of apps too many Marek Rodak clangers. So, Dom, how bad was the game? I mean, I watched it from home. The XG that Fulham had was 0.11. It was the lowest XG in the championship for the entire weekend. Now, I know you say it's nonsense, but it's it's a very good indication that there were so few chances in this game. I think Hulls was 0.55. There was just nothing happening. You could literally not watch for 20 minutes, as I imagine you probably did, and you just missed zero. I mean, you could have not watched the game for 85 and you would have missed Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, as I said, it's it, it's sort of it was sort of vintage uh, caviar performance in that sense. As mm. in, 
So he's not doing really too much in the game, but then he has that moment of brilliance that wins you the game. And like I still think the expected goal thing is nonsense because we still scored the goal, which meant we win the game. So it's, it's a nonsense stat. And it, yes, it was the lowest in the league, but again, we end up winning the game. It was running me a bit of sort of, not quite as shit out as the Middlesbrough performance from a, from a few years ago, but up there. And it's, it seems to be anything in the northeast. So like, right, this is where we're going to insert shit house FC here. It wasn't shit house because Hull didn't yeah, yeah, play no. well. It, Hull didn't play yeah, well. It was, it was just... It was just a terrible game of football. Yeah, like no, nothing was happening. I well, couldn't, it, I couldn't tell you what happened in the game apart from our goal and they just allowed goal in the last minute. Well, the there was I was talking to Joe about it before before we started, and there wasn't even a moment I can think of. You know when like the ball is like played into space behind the fullback, and we got a winger bearing down to like get a decent cross in. There wasn't even a. I don't even remember going go on. You know that kind of sound. There was there was literally nothing like that at all during the game apart from I mean not even the goal I thought when he picked it up I thought well nothing's gonna happen here. oh he's actually bent it in brilliant fantastic let's let's kick on from here and create some more chances but you can tell like how bad a game was from the extended highlights where I mean whoever put them together on the official website to uh, pad them out for seven minutes excellent job I must say you know there was like there was the wayward shot from Mitrovic and a wayward shot from Onomar which went absolutely nowhere even close to a goal like the Mitrovic shot bounced about four yards before it actually went out went out for uh, went out for a goal kick <laughs> well Mike was well. doing the Sky ones which were only two or three minutes and he texted me saying he was struggling to even do that yeah so well, the- he was like do you remember anything else I can include? Because I don't remember yeah. anything. Well, the, the I mean, I did a little bit look at the stats, the passing stats, and in total there were 240 misplaced passes in that game. 240, that's insane. And it was actually our lowest passing accuracy since the first game of the season. You Barnsley. can really see Pep Guardiola's influence on English football in this game. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I mean, you could tell literally from the second touch in the game that it was going to be such a low-quality game of football when I don't know which Hull player it was, but they did the kickoff back to the whole midfielder who then tried to find his man on the left wing he wasn't even close it went straight into the crowd and do you know what happened in the second half exactly the same thing again straight from the kickoff it went straight it was like play. rugby like uh, put it back well, in hole to be fair but fine, it, went out, it, went out, it went out on the full so you know we'd have to block oh the yeah I mean yeah, yeah. Was no, there was no bounce or anything like that I mean yeah terrible quality game of football but I guess maybe not too surprising given how both sides like to play. Fulham very much like to dominate the ball and we've said so many times this season we are so much better, Joe, when we go in the lead and Hull are clearly their main strategy is counter-attacking and if I was a Hull fan I'd be thinking where is Hull's plan B because if the other side take the lead what can Hull do really? And it shows you how frustrating it is because had Fulham just managed to edge themselves into the lead probably in several games this season you look at the Reading game the Forest game and particularly the Hull game I don't think Hull would have had anything to combat our our lead really and Fulham are so comfortable just sitting back on a on a 1-0 lead because we can just okay and we made a lot of misplaced passes on Saturday but we can just pass you to death and 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 kill a game yeah, I've been quite critical of Parker over the last few months, but one thing that was really clear was that he learnt from that whole game earlier in the season where we were really open and played completely into their hands and they just counter-attacked us to death. Um, and yeah, it's one of those things where when we take the lead, we're actually quite hard to beat and, well, hard to even draw against. Um, I mean, if you think that there was that thing a, a few months ago, someone sent in that crazy email where when we changed it to five at the back, mm-hmm. we never conceded goals. And I know that some, the 
the subs on Saturday were so defensive, but they completely nullified Hull. I mean, not that there was anything to really nullify anyway, because we completely dealt with their threat, and they never really looked like scoring apart from the um, the bow and shot that sort of got saved and then fell back to someone, cleared off the line, and then the disallowed goal. That last few minutes when everyone gets a bit nervous. Other than that, I think we looked really comfortable, and I think it should be remembered that. A lot of people slate our defence, me included. Um, West Brom's defence isn't great either, and they're, I think, now second. We conceded the same amount of goals of them after this game, and they conceded two to Charlton. So I think it should be said that even though the Reading game was sort of a bit back to square one, we've had the Stoke game where we defended well, we've had this game that we defended well, and pretty much against Villa for the whole game we defended well. So three out of four it's not too bad after Luton. And Luton, even though it was it was our defence that made mistakes trying to play out the back, I wouldn't necessarily it was terrible defence. The goal from the free kick was a bit shit. But it was kind of passing out the back that was the real problem in that game, not necessarily poor defending, really, an issue. I think it's an interesting point that you make, Joe. Well, yeah, and there was, a, there was an interview that Parker did after the um, Reading game where he was obviously a very very annoyed by the by the by our defending that game and he was talking about how that there wasn't enough desperation in the squad and you know how easy it is for other teams to score against us and he probably wants a bit more of that sort of fight and battle and the you know he kept on he probably repeated the word desperation about four or five times throughout this interview um and sounds like me on a night out and uh you know it was like there wasn't enough sort of battle from the from the players to actually show I really don't want this ball to go in to be honest they kind of did that against Hull even though they weren't really tested that much because the quality of the game was so was so poor from from both teams um, and it kind of shows as you're saying the team in second who's conceded the you know the same amount of goals as, as Fulham so far he, he also goes on to say like look we've got a lot of expectation here but you've got to understand this this league is very very tough and very you know the it's not like where the top six teams are so far enough away that the quality is so huge and the and the depth is so huge. It's actually the kind of the opposite. It's so well, it's squeezed whole, at the moment. If Hull beat us, it would have been level on points of us. Well, yeah, it, it kind of shows yeah. what kind of shows. You what go it's from like. us being potentially out of the top six to us being oh no, we're top two, drop points again. We're, we're closing on them. It, it was it was one it was one of those weekends in a championship where if re- results pretty much went our way and if we didn't get the result at Hull would have been another because you, you, you look at the Luton game and you, you look at the Reading game and you know if we, if we got you know six points out of those two games as, as opposed to one then you know we would have been above Brentford and right in the mix for top two I think obviously which we, is really I, I thought about that this weekend is hugely frustrating because we haven't capitalised enough on Leeds and West Brom Leeds are what one, one in six I think well, I yeah think, West I Brom think, had winless in five I think something like Leeds and West Brom are 13th and 18th respectively in the form table and they're the top two by six and seven points you know which which tells you a lot and you know I think that Parker is trying to get that draw that into the team that we really need to make these things count more often I mean it shows like literally in that last the last few seconds of the game that the offside goal as soon as that first ball is cleared they are out straight away which leads to the offside goal to start off with I think if that was 10 games ago we might have had a different result what was the impact of Michael Hector I mean it's not a bad start for him as a joining centre back is it two games two tough games as well okay yes Villa few changes but still a Premier League side and then a tough trip up to Hull um, who you know haven't been goal shy 
this season. Two clean sheets. You can't really ask for more, can you? No, he's had, he's had a good, he's a great he's a great start since, since he's joined the club, and you know he's clearly embedded himself very well within the squad. I think he's been very welcomed into the squad ever since he's started training with them, and he's well within the sort of the team spirit of the, of, of the club. So, you know, I think it's been, it's been a great influence, and you know, I think it's kind of what we've needed because. It's not just, oh, you get someone of Michael Hector's quality and who people would argue last season might have been the best uh, centre-back in the Championship. I thought some people would be arguing that off his time at Sheffield Wednesday. But the problem with our defence has been is there hasn't really been competition for places. So people have been getting sort of too secure in where they're playing. The likes of Tim Ream and Mawson making mistakes left, right and centre. But with someone like of Hector's quality coming in, then it, 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 it pushes them forward to try and keep their place in the side. Yeah, it's not like Le, uh, Le Marchand has been uh, pushing pushing them and trying to sort of fight for the place. I don't know, he seems to be a bit of a forgotten man now and probably destined to, to leave in January. So that put that famous chant to bed now. Um, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to hugely sing Hector's praises to start off with. I still think he looks a bit rusty at the moment, but, you know, two games in, he hasn't played in a year. I think that pretty much that hopefully he's got the potential to go and it probably contributed into the fact why you know the quality of the game well Fulham's game in particular was a bit a bit sluggish and a bit slow the fact that our passing wasn't quite on there is the fact that we've got two players in there who really haven't played much at uh, game time at all in in Hector and McDonald right through the spine of the team and it it really did show the amount of times I, I kept on shouting and talking through in the game like a bit more quality on the ball there was a too many sort of balls played behind people fired at people's ankles or chest or whatever and hopefully the thing is though like we've seen with Josh Onoma who is now basically our talismanic box-to-box midfielder um, now you know the potential in these players are actually pretty good and we're starting to get some um, some fight back uh, and the only unfortunate is we get a few players back from injury and then suddenly we just see Mitrovic getting stretched off yeah I'll come on to Mitrovic in a second just to point out I do know the definition of a clean sheet because I realised that we didn't keep a clean sheet against Aston Villa even though I just <laughs> said that Michael Hector kept two clean sheets in his first two games I, I am aware of the definition of a clean sheet I just a uh, slip of the old tongue um Cavalero, that was big news in the week. Fifteen million pound move reportedly <laughs> um, confirmed from from Wolves to Fulham. I guess the biggest significance of this, Joe, is the fact a lone spot in the squad is now reopened um, for Tony and Scott to potentially make use of. But also fine reward for what has been a decent opening half of the season from Cavalero. Sometimes he is very anonymous, but he undoubtedly has moments of quality we saw it on Saturday we've seen it against Millwall Charlton Um, we even saw it in that Reading game when he came on a lovely goal and nearly got the second he's clearly got flashes of brilliance and he can get you back into a game from absolutely nowhere and and that is a vital quality well yeah I mean we didn't create anything on Saturday and it it didn't matter because he just created something out of nothing he did the same against Reading when he came on because I really didn't think that we were going to score in that game I just couldn't see it other than that we had a flurry of chances at the start of the first half since then we just couldn't get through them and he came on and like you said he should have scored a second well nearly scored a second time he's one of those players that I think like Mitrovic is one of the few not few but real game winners we have in our in our team where something out of nothing they've got the quality that is just better than the opposition can offer apart from a few teams like maybe West Brom and Leeds Um, and I think that I mean I've seen that £15 million signing thing um, the rumour is is that even overpriced when you actually think of the current market and the value he's given us in his goals maybe some of the performances haven't been the highest quality but 
even when he doesn't perform particularly well, he still scores out of nothing. I remember the, the Charlton game when he suddenly just put one in the top corner when he'd been anonymous mm. for the rest of the game. I think it's one of those when if you've got someone like that on the team who we've even had the luxury of putting on our bench for a lot of the season, it just shows that even though we do need to get more depth this window, we have got a very, very strong squad. Indeed. And it's it's a hard one, really. I don't think he's always anonymous. He just has those patches where he doesn't do an awful lot. But then so did Ryan Sestignon a lot of the time. Mm. That was a that was a quality that he possessed or not such a quality that he possessed that he could just go missing for such an awful long time and then come back. Um, Farrell, do you think that potentially that means another loan will be coming in in the window? It'd be almost kind of foolish of Fulham not to, to use an extra loan spot. We we never sign anyone on loan. I haven't seen a single one the past no, few years. No, no, it's a rarity at Fulham. Uh, it depends on who's available. It's nice to have that option now. Um, obviously, Fulham are probably looking to bring in Cavalera on a permanent anyway at the start of the season. And Wolves were probably thinking, well, let's just hang on to him just in case, you know, they would like... They, he starts having an absolute barnstorming season and they want him back but you know it's obviously not worked out that way it potentially obviously saves money on a on on a loan fee that we'd have to pay at the end of his contract um 50 million is obviously a it's it's not going to be that there's going to be an agent out there going well if we if he you know has all these international appearances we get promoted to the premier league um he scores 20 goals in the season then it's all of those things added up together it's it's got to be that and obviously if you if you say that oh my player signed for 15 why has it got to be that though why is it like surely wolves would have given us a price tag and I do, the, 15, be- the 15 million pound will just be with all the add-ons added together yeah. I reckon the flat not flat fee but the bulk of the fee we, we're probably paying is probably in a region in between 7.5 to 10 probably and then the the 15 is all the potential add-ons or clauses in the contract I because what transfer now is just a flat fee yeah. and that's it unless it's a release clause which obviously Caviero doesn't have because you know they're not actually they're not actually allowed in England but they're just there and kind of they, they, it's like a vanity thing isn't yeah. it oh, if someone comes in for a bid for three million pounds you're allowed gonna, yeah, yeah you're, you're allowed, allowed to, to go. go yeah I don't, I don't I just who's think, re- whose release clause is three million pounds so three hundred million. Oh right I was gonna say that's what that's written into my contract right? is it right yeah, yeah for your uh, what's your football team uh, Fulhamish FC of course Fulhamish FC oh yeah obviously um Right, let's come on to the Mitrovic injury. It could potentially, um, depending on the news, be an area that Fulham need to use in the loan market. He went off at the end of the game, kind of a twisted ankle, it looked like, from from the telly. And that's what Scott Parker said. Scott Parker did seem to indicate that it's quite serious looking. Um, as of yet, on Monday evening, we haven't heard what the news is on that injury. Um Don, what do we do if, let's say, it's a two-month layoff? To Fulham, just use what we have. There are. It's not necessarily that we have to recruit from outside the club. Lots of people are talking players like Dwight Gale, um, Glenn Murray, uh, who I don't feel like actually will happen. But what's your view on it? What do we do if we don't have Mitrovic for a significant period of time? I think everyone is over-panicking about Mm. it. Because the last few games, we haven't played Mitrovic. We've won both of them. Yeah. So we, we we beat obviously Villa and we beat QPR and we didn't have Mitrovic in any of those games. So I don't. I think obviously it's obviously going to be concerning. He's top goal scorer in the league, but it's not. 
I don't think it's quite as bad as like Spurs losing Harry Kane until April. I don't think it's quite that bad. And I, I do think we need to go, get someone in, in, in the loan market. I don't think we'll end up getting anyone on a permanent deal. Who's, I think that final loan spot might just have to be used now for a forward player. And, you know, the likes of Glenn Murray and Dwight Gale. thing is, if you were to get Dwight Gale, surely you'd just buy him on a permanent because I believe Newcastle only want £8 million for him. And if you so if you were to get Dwight Gale, why wouldn't you just pay at, pay at that fee? Would you know? I'd, would Glenn Murray work probably as, as a hold up player? But I don't think he's. I don't know. He's not obviously the same type of player as Mitrovic. But you know, we've we've got players within the squad likes of Abubakar Kamara. You know, we saw against Aston Villa. You know, likes of was it Caviero and Knockout kind of yeah. up top. And obviously, that wouldn't work in all the time. But I do think there are, there are options here. And I think that it's just it's just it's Alan Scott Parker really whether he wants to risk bringing in someone like Dwight Gale or Glenn Murray's quality, which obviously would be good signings. But then what do they do when Mitrovic comes back? Yeah, there's there's obviously a bit of a risk of like having another sort of like marquee signing coming in from the club and potentially upsetting, you know, someone like Mitrovic. He's obviously got so much quality in this division. He's top goal scorer by some distance still. Um, but you know I don't think he's absolutely integral to the way Fulham play and to be honest I did actually quite like that kind of partnership that we had with Cavalera and Knockhart against Aston Villa we've obviously got quite a high energy team apart from Mitrovic and when we had those two up front although Knockhart seemed to be playing like in in a free role most of the time that we actually won the ball a lot higher up the pitch than we than we usually do that we just can't do with Mitrovic we can't do that um pressing game that we that that we we would probably like to see doing the high intensity winning the ball in in key areas of the pitch as opposed to just winning them you know back in, in defense yeah. in midfield um but you know there's obviously we have obviously got Bobby Reed as well who you know the last time he played consistently up front for Bristol City he scored 27 goals in this league um so you know we we yeah. there are options and we saw how bright Jay Stansfield when he came on you know it's 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 not like um when uh Stephen Humphreys came into the team and you're like oh this guy is pretty out of his depth here um you know perhaps we can get Corley Woodrow back instead i think there are worse players that we could lose and I feel like someone like Harrison Reed has been such a miss for us this season and, and and I think you're completely correct the QPR game when it was Kamara up front I think actually sometimes Scott has to cater for Mitrovic in a way mm. look Mitrovic is the best player in the league and of course you work to Mitrovic's strengths but sometimes Mitrovic's strengths don't necessarily suit the strengths of the rest of the team and the way we were able to press QPR up high when it was Kamara really offered something completely different and actually did play into the hands of the other 10 I'm not suggesting that maybe going forward we drop Mitrovic but it could be an opportunity unfortunately we haven't got really tough games coming up we haven't got West Brom leads coming up in the next few weeks also, also like I, I correct me if I'm wrong he hasn't scored now in three league games I believe and I can't really remember him actually creating like a really good goal scoring opportunity or having like anything like that I don't know if, I, if, if I'm wrong he had a, here he, we, he had a shot against Reading which then ended up being the triple save from Reading's goalkeeper yeah. he had the initial shot but you'd actually argue that Bobby Reed's chances were the harder yeah. 
chances. Stoke, I can't really remember. I think he maybe forced a save or two from from. Jack I Lowe. think it was a pa- there was a pattern of play where he chested off to someone and it created a chance. But apart from that, I don't I don't remember him. And obviously he a- scored against Luton. Yeah, but-, but he's like the focal point of our attack, and I can't really remember him creating a huge or actually having a really decent goal scoring opportunity. So you know, I think we are quite. You know, obviously he is a brilliant footballer and he's he is really good for our team and you know we love him and he loves us and but I don't think he's integral to the team at the moment he is integral though to our t-shirt so if you'd like a Mitrovic t-shirt <laughs> do go to fullamish.co.uk forward slash shop because uh, they are excellent and they do help our lovely little podcast okay um, let's have a quick look at the rest of the league Joe uh, we did touch on it before Leeds West Brom dropping an insane amount of points Brentford on the rise everyone else inconsistent and then the two most informed teams are Reading and Middlesbrough of course it's an absolute disaster zone out there and we just need to keep some consistency because that is the key in this league and if we can then we will just rise above the rest because everyone wants to be everyone at the moment and we do have a, a gentle run of fixtures on the way barring the thrashing at the Etihad yeah, I mean, this is the time that we have to make that count because after that we've got Leeds away, we've got West Brom away near the end of the season. It's this run now which I think is going to be important. Yeah, Forest is what Good Friday, isn't it? So, yeah, yeah, I think I think they're all in within about a month of each other. Um, but the, the the key is that um, we also have Brentford in front of us, who I think are looking very good, and they also still have, I think, both of the top two at home yeah. left, which is annoying but they're only one point ahead of us I think that the the weird thing about this league at the moment is that like you said the two informed teams are not lower teams but mid-table teams in Reading and Middlesbrough I guess Middlesbrough are slightly lower and we've got them next obviously but it shows that if you just get a bit of a run together because let's not forget that Middlesbrough and Reading looked awful at the start of this season yeah um, and yeah, now that, that Middlesbrough away game's up there of whole of worst game this season yeah yeah and Anything in the northeast, yeah, yeah, and now and now they're actually. I mean, Patrick Roberts has come in. Let's not forget that he was playing very well against Derby on the weekend, I think. But it, I think the win on Saturday at least let us get above the sort of group that's right down by sixth place, where you up to about tenth, you've got about two or three points in it. Now I think it would take two defeats for us to drop out of the playoffs. I think it's not a big cushion, but at least it's start, it's starting to look as if you've got the top two: Brentford, us, and Forest and then sixth place. I, I know that people are going to come back to this at the end of the season when we inevitably finish seventh or something, but it's one of those where at least we've started to get a bit of a cushion and we look like we are fighting for top two rather than fighting to get into the playoffs. Yeah, I completely agree. And it'd be very interesting to see what happens over the next few weeks. And that Middlesbrough game on Friday, a few weeks ago, you'd have said an absolute gimme. And, and right now, it's definitely not looking like it. They were very impressive against Derby um, on Saturday, denied by a lovely goal at the end by, um, I can't remember which player it was for Derby, but it was a 91st minute equaliser. Yeah. Holmes. Holmes, the right yeah. Back. Um, and, of course, they, they pushed Spurs all the way. Bit of unfortunate scheduling for Middlesbrough. Um, obviously, they've got to face Spurs away in the FA Cup replay on Tuesday then they've got a Friday game I don't know I imagine you'd stay in London um, <laughs> for that kind of period would you go back up to Middlesbrough for Wednesday Thursday and then come back I wouldn't down? I just wouldn't go back up there <laughs> just just you stay. just move to London yeah just move to London and get, and get the, um, the the train up to Northampton and change over every week you know why would you want to go back to Middlesbrough dive <laughs> there we go good evening to the listeners from Middlesbrough right we'll take a quick break and then after the break we'll answer all your questions 
Hello, I'm Lucas Piazon, and you're listening to Fulhamish Podcast. Welcome back to the Fulhamish Podcast. Sammy James here with Farrell Monk. Hello. Joe Sansom. Hello. And Dom Betts. Hello, hello. We're wearing the same brand of t-shirt, Dom. It's a jumper, but... Yes. (laughs) We're wearing the same brand of jumper, Dom. Which I introduced to you, so technically you've just copied my wardrobe. Is that the same one that Ben and Jack also use? Yeah, we we just always wear Baz Lager because Dom's taste in jumpers is quite good. Yeah, I mean, it it suits you better than Peaceful Hooligans, so... Yeah. (laughs) Oh, don't worry, I've got one of those in my wardrobe, I just don't wear it out too often. Right, (laughs) Um, let's have a look at some of your questions that you've sent in. Uh, First one, a bit more of a jokey one, I like this. Um, Alex at Pure Power. Can we sacrifice a member of the pod at an altar in order to appease the gods to make Mitro's injury better? If so, which member? Farrell Monk. (laughs) <laughs> was that your answer or was that <laughs> no I will uh, I will ponder on my answer what is yours uh, well I mean depends on what the are they the footballing gods because um, I don't think I'm much value for the footballing gods that's for sure um, I, I, I suppose if that mind. was if that was the case then probably be Ben Jarman he's a pretty handy footballer or a guy Barlow and they'll be the, that would have the most value in terms of footballing gods yeah Don Betts who would you sacrifice Jack Collins <laughs> that is my answer as well Joe Sansom who would you sacrifice George Singer so I have the voice to myself hey mm. very good okay uh, next question bit more actual footballing questions here um, a little bit of what we touched on earlier Greg Grimmer can anyone make a case for arguing Mitro's injury will be a long term blessing a la when McCormack left speeding up our transitions and making the team more Slav like I don't think it's quite McCormack level but um, I think it's more, as we mentioned before, it's not as bad as everyone thinks it's going to be. Because they see, I mean, yes, because I think, you know, yes, he is integral. And I don't think when we had McCormack, he was like the best player in the league by a country mile or anything. But I think people see the, the amount of goals he scored and suddenly worry. But I, I don't think it's that much of a worry. As we've seen, when he hasn't played this season, it's not been a car crash, has it? No. You know, if anything... It's not. We have to adapt. It hasn't been the t- highest quality option. No, but we don't have to adapt the way we're. We just have to slightly adapt the way of playing to suit who that striker is. Because how we sometimes adapt our play to suit the way Mitrovic plays. I think it's the same thing. Mm. That you know, if you're going to play Kamara up top or Reed or Caviero, knock out whoever, you just have to adapt the way you play to suit the way they want to play and the way the team's going to set up with them up top. So yeah, I don't, maybe not not a blessing in disguise, but it, I just don't think it's as bad as everyone's making out. I mean, there's lots of questions on this. Uh, Brett Pund um, has asked uh, a similar question. He said, any chance the club will actually release injury news? Nope. Um, I think on this one, it's a bit of a test of this kind of silence from the club. Can they be silent on Mitrovic? I, I feel like they can't. I probably believe that they'll because it's so high profile and it happens so out there that it's impossible to ignore if it was a training ground injury they wouldn't they wouldn't release it i think because it happened right in front of of you know um everyone uh to see that probably they will end up having to release some sort of information probably in the next uh, you know he probably would have gone straight to hospital he's probably gone for a scan today and they'll know they'll know by tomorrow but what they'll they won't release the exact injury. They'll it's not say. like Jonathan Woodgate's going to see the Fulham team sheet on Friday and be like, oh my God, Mitrovic is out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, it's happened. We've got to deal with it. Um, that You know, to be honest, they might not even know. They might, And even if they do, I, I, I would still be surprised that if they release the information, unless he's like literally out for the season, they just say, yeah, he's out for the season. Um, this one from James Brody is a really interesting question. Uh, do you think Onoma starts when everyone is fit? 
He's improved massively over the past month. Still needs work, though. I'm not sure what his best position is. Um, we had a message from a guy called Chris who runs a Stats Spurs podcast, and he was on Fulhamish early in the season when we signed Onoma. And he was really glowing about Josh Onoma, and he actually tweeted us after the game on Saturday asking, you know, is Onoma now an integral part of the team? And I answered back saying... Yes, he is. And ever since that Leeds game, not just because of the goal, but also an immense performance, he's suddenly now a player that you put on the team sheet, I believe, when everyone's fit. Uh, Do you agree? I think when everyone's fit, I would start him. And I I don't know if this is a hot take or not, but I wouldn't start Kearney when everyone's fit uh, on current form. Um, I, I think sometimes we miss a bit of his creativity, but personally if I was to name a midfield three right now that I would want to start the next game if everyone was fit I'd start Harrison Reed, Arta and Onoma and that was just there's not an opinion. awful lot of creativity in that though but does does Cavalero knock out whoever's on the wing make up for that I guess uh, well I hope so but at the same time um, when you think about our midfield you in the it's a different team obviously but when we went up under Slav we had the holding midfielder we had the box to box and the creative midfielder and even though with this we'd have a sort of two defensive minded midfielders and one box to box I mean our creativity should be coming from out wide um, I mean and through the middle as well but Onoma he does go forward and I would rather sort of have the protection and then if need be we've also got I mean this is presuming that Bobby Reid and then Cavalero or Knockhart's going to be playing at this rate instead of Mitrovic probably all three of them are going to yeah. be playing and then I just I, I just really think that I would rather have the solid base to start the game so is Onoma a 10? Is he an 8? I think, I think he's an 8 in the way we're going to play I, mm. I think we were asked this on the extra pod last week what would your midfield 3 be? I think I said Harrison Reed, Onoma, and TC when when all fit. I look at Harry Arta, and I like I I think he's best as someone to bring off the bench. But then when Harry Arta's fit, where does that leave Stefan Johansson in 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 this whole argument? Because I actually think that he did a lot better than I was expecting when he was covering Harrison Reed in that holding midfield position. Because obviously they've got a number six on the bench in Ken McDonald. Obviously they played Johansson instead. I think he did well. So it is interesting to see, and you know. Without Mitrovic, we are going to be playing a different style of football in that sense. Does that mean you have to adapt your midfield to that? Mm. And do you need one, ones who are going to suit that midfield more? So for me at the moment, I think it is actually, you're looking at it like Harrison Reed and Josh Omer RV2, you'd start and then you decide who you play in the further forward creativity role. Which is quite mad. You would, If you'd have been telling me this in August, Farrell, I would not have believed you. Yeah, I, you know, um, it... <laughs> Yeah, I can't, I can't really say much more than that. You know, Onoma has been brilliant when he, the last few games and I'm really, really pleased for him. Um, you could tell he works really, really hard and he's just added that bit of quality and confidence to his game and it, he's been he's been outstanding. Um, I, I've, I've got to say that you can't not play Tom Kearney, um, you know, in that number 10 because I think he's brilliant. And even if we play a high-intensity football, he does actually put the yards in. He does make a lot of tackles and he does make a lot of interceptions. He's such a clever player. Um, but you know you can't you know you've got those two and you can't really see past Harrison Reed yet and it kind of shows the strength and depth that we we have God forbid if we didn't have all of those and we still had the same injuries this season at centre mid we would end end up having to really dip into the youth team to 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 fill those fill those gaps 
especially since when you got players like Kevin McDonald and Steph Johansson, who alongside Tom Kearney, when we got promoted, was probably the best midfield three in the championship that time. And I don't think Johansson's been playing all that badly this season. I actually think he's been one of our better players this season. Yeah, he, he, had, he didn't have a particularly great game against Aston Villa, but apart from that, he's been, you know, he gets a lot of, a lot of, um, quite right a lot of shithousery comments but I think it distracts from the fact he is actually a very technically creative gifted player I enjoyed the photo of Steffi Hansen and Kevin McDonald out on the lash in Wimbledon after the game uh, on Saturday I don't actually know if they were on the lash but they were in a bar um, which is classic Kevin McDonald. He's got to celebrate his first game back, hasn't he? It would be it would be criminal for Kevin McDonald not to celebrate um, Don what are your opinions on the place Inverness Inverness yeah quite far north no opinions I ain't been there so when I'm the furthest north in Scotland I've been to Aberdeen oh okay well Carl Kent is from Inverness and he's got the next question um, <laughs> he has asked if Fulham were to finish in the playoffs again how confident would everyone be going into it uh, with players that have experience from last time but maybe it would be even tougher this time round to win it given the quality of teams in the in the playoffs if it all finishes the way it is now I can't work out how Fulham would do let's say it is the playoffs as it is now so you've got got you'd have Sheffield Wednesday versus Brentford us versus Forest <laughs> um, in the semi-finals who's, well, I've who's said, coming I've, out I've said this that? a lot of, I've said this quite a lot not on the pod but um, sort of off air to a lot of people is that I think that if we were to play Brentford in the playoffs we, we wouldn't beat him in the semi-finals but we'd beat him in a one-off game at Wembley I, I, I still but then Brentford fans don't want Fulham in the playoffs Really, I thought they'd love. No, that. I, I was speaking to a few. They don't want us because they feel like they're like, they don't want their last ever game at Griffin Park oh. to be Fulham beating them and knocking them out of the playoffs. That would be, that would be. Wonderful. But I still don't think we beat them in, in a two leg affair. But I do think we beat them in a one off game at Wembley. That is a that is a very fair comment. But it is like my worst nightmare to actually face Brentford in the playoffs because they play- always raise their game. They always raise. But their also, game. their playoff record is worse than ours. Sorry, and it's always a Fulham play who messes them up in the playoffs. You've got you got Trotter, Trotter with the penalty yeah. miss against Doncaster. You have got Dan Burney score for Yeovil in the playoff yeah. final in 2013, and then you had Fernando Morbietta for Middlesbrough yeah. um, in the first season <laughs> yeah. in the Championship. So it's always Fulham who somehow end up messing up their promotion dreams. There is certainly something to be said about teams who've been there and done that. And you can tell, like, you know, especially with teams in the Premier League, once they get that first one over the line, they continually win the Premier League after that. Even though none of the players might not be there anymore, it's kind of got that weight lifted over the whole club and the atmosphere. And perhaps that will work to Fulham's advantage, but it's still Fulham. (laughs) Things aren't as simple as that, are they? I mean, yeah, part of me would love to see it, but also... How nervous would we be? I mean, you could see... Do you remember when we the couple of years ago in the promotion season when we were two 0 up against QPR and managed to sort of we were so comfortable and then the difference there though was that it meant nothing to QPR in the sense that it was just a free hit for them and you can say that yeah Brentford raised their game against Fulham but if Fulham can't raise their game for a playoff final or a playoff semi final almost in a way the local derby factor. It's just a bit of spice for the fans. The players are going to be just as G'd up for a playoff semi-final or final. You'd like to think... We only, ra- any, well, we only raised our game in the playoffs for the second leg. The first leg, I thought we were very good. We weren't very good in the first the leg. The first leg is just about staying in touch, isn't it? And also, it, really? the sec- in the second leg, we, we, weren't, we didn't create a huge amount of chances either. And even in the playoff final, we didn't create a huge amount of chances. It was just grit and determination and just pure quality 
play from a lot of those players. But again, we didn't really create a huge amount like we've seen throughout the throughout our league. I mean, yeah, time. there's always like less chances in, the, in those big finals just because there's so much on the line and no one wants to make a mistake right. and very few players want to gamble. Well, that Reading Huddersfield one the year before was an absolute barnstormer. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you saw it with Villa last year. They'd they'd been to Wembley. They'd kind of got the T-shirt. They'd lost. And then when they came back in the second year, you just had that feeling Villa aren't going to make the same mistake twice. So hopefully um, Fulham would benefit from that experience. But you seem to see Parker at the lot questioning the mentality in that Reading interview that you mentioned earlier where he did say the word desperation about 15,000 times. But he's right that he's, he's, I think that's his biggest thing with this squad at the moment. He knows the talent's there. He knows that our attractive style of football's there, but he's questioning the character of the mm. team sometimes. And I think that would come a lot into play in that playoff final. But as I said, hopefully they'd raise it. I think that's pretty pretty much it uh, for all the questions uh, today. Apart from this one, actually, you're going to finish uh, with Slabhead, who I believe his actual name is Dan Cook. Is there a tactical reason why the midfield two who play in front of our holding midfielder sits so high up the pitch when we have the ball? always seems to be a gaping hole in the midfield because those two midfielders are pushed right up usually up against the opposition's back line I mean it does seem much more this season Joe that there seems to be a gap right in the middle of midfield and and you've said how you would rather have two holding midfield rather than two attacking midfielders but that doesn't seem to be the way that Scott's going at the moment yeah I mean that's how I'd fix it but obviously you could just fix it by having better position players to be honest um, there shouldn't be a massive hole but I guess it's because we're trying to play every game in the opposition's half taking the game to them obviously that's going to come with risks as it does come with rewards but at the same time I mean it's it's purely due to the way we play it can be fixed by going a more defensive style like I'd say but that would also come with probably more games like the whole game so it's one of those things where you've got to weigh up is it worth sticking with this style that we're winning more games than we're losing we're not drawing many it's very much go and win the game or go and try and win the game or risk coming away with nothing I think what you got to look at the way if you're going to have those two advanced centre midfielders if you want to compare it to anything you can look when City play a 4-1-4-1 where you have the likes of De Bruyne and David mm. Silva pushing up as 3-8 but then that requires your, your your fullbacks to move inside to cover that area and that doesn't happen so that's the problem the issue isn't having two advanced central midfielders to create to create opportunities for you it's that then you need your fullbacks to be moving inside as inverted, inverted fullbacks to just cover that space so I think that's the problem I think we just haven't. You understand what he's trying, Scott Parker's trying to do there, but he just hasn't got it completely right tactically because it does require, that, like I said, those fullbacks to move inside. The, the, also, the other thing, and you quite rightly bring up Manchester City because it's lovely to compare Fulham to Manchester City, of course, um, is that when we when I was watching the game yesterday against uh, Villa, is that they were so tactically inept that they, the gap in between their midfield and their defence was so gaping large that the amount of times David Silva and Kevin De Bruyne would pick it, pick it up between the lines or even just play it, just dribble it past them because they're such quick, clever players and be able to sort of play in between those lines so easily and have Villa on the back foot the whole time. The difference is with, with uh, Fulham this season and what we have seen in previous seasons in the Championship is that teams tend to play so deep against us that the, the the gaps in between the lines are so narrow and we find it so difficult to to play against the the converse to that is the fact that we cannot unlock the doors with players like Kearney and he's quite right that our centre midfielders tend to sort of play so far up and then there's a huge gap in between our, our holding midfielder and our, our attacking midfielders that Kearney likes to drop deep and, and 
find space where he can and he's working really really well when he is playing when he's back from injury with Bobby Reed, who also likes to do that regardless of whether he's playing on the left wing or or venturing around in the attacking midfield options well despite it being the football equivalent of ASMR there was actually quite a lot to discuss in today's podcast uh, we'll probably leave it there if that's okay uh, Fulhamish Extra will return in the week uh, I imagine Dom will have someone on from a Borough podcast. Uh, Farrell, can you name this week's podcast, please? Well, I can't see past Patrick Lane's amazing effort of Huller's Dishwater. Wonderful stuff. Okay, well, thank you very much to everyone in the studio. Thanks to Joe Sansom. Thank you. To Dom Betts. That's all right. And to Farrell Monk. You're very welcome. I'm going to leave you all with a treat. So our very own George Cooper uh, fancies himself as a bit of a comedian. <laughs> and... <laughs> No one asked him to do this, I think, is the most important thing to be said. He's made a parody song of um, Serge Gainsbourg, uh, Je t'aime, moi non plus, um, to, and it's called Anthony Knockhart's Le Passion Merchant. So thank you for listening today, and we'll leave you with George's wonderful uh, creation. And if you like it, let us know. If you don't like it, equally let us know. So, thank you for listening. Extra is back in a week. Knockout. Knockout. Anthony Knockout. But you can call me... I will sprint 80 yards just to win a throw-in. Do you like that, baby? We so much passion. I do it for the fans. We, I need slide for you. I kiss the badge for you. Oh, chante. Jean of the crowd, les passions me chantent. Do do do. Knockout. Oh, knockout. You can call me Tony Knockers. So much passion. I put Vaseline on my legs so that I can knee slide harder for longer. I do it. For the fans A petty Frenchman I kiss the badge for you Oh, chante Jing Of the crowd Les passions me chantent Do, do, do I am way more than just a sexy, stocky Frenchman. I'm a merchant of passion. I'm just waiting on that contract extension. Do the right thing, Tony. Make it permanent. I rile up the builders after me and Cav switch. And do you know why? I do it for the fans. At the cottage. I kiss the badge for you. So much passion. I cup my ears for you. Oh, chante. Jing, up the fans. 
Les pas sont me chantent.